Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's time for a completely unnecessary podcast for, wow, Wednesday, June 3rd, 2015, alongside irritable Ian Ferguson. I'm Pat Contry. We have a soiree of topics tonight. It's going to be a... A soiree of topics? A party of topics? A cornucopia. A cornucopia. A collection collection. of conversations about the latest in modern gaming, retro gaming news. Uh, Movies. Talk about a little bit of movie stuff, pop culture, and your Q and A uh, on the show tonight. We're talking about uh, Splatoon. Just came out, and Ian's review of that, as well as a UK Splatoon shipment being stolen, like uh, a huge chunk of them, actually. That was Amiibos. Uh, and we're talking about uh, Vita now officially being a legacy console. H one Z one band players that can apologize publicly to get back in. The Intellivision Kickstarter for uh, three remastered games. A new Mega Man anime series. Animated series announced The Rock being cast in Big Trouble Little China remake. What? The Kung Fury viral shortish film. Uh, Tron 3 being canceled. And an experiment about driving up retro game prices that was reported to me. The humble Nindle. Nindy. Nindy bundle. <laughs> and your QA. Ian, how are you doing? How's your tummy? Uh, not, not great. <laughs> not, not, not great at all. Uh, it's, it's an adventure every day. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, I'm, uh, in the middle of keeping a food diary. Uh... Is that like a deal meal sort of thing with Richard no, Simmons? No. no. I, I write down everything that I put into my system so that I can take it back to the doctor and they can evaluate it and we can go from there. And they're going to see if I, if I have any sensitivities to things that have, are suddenly popping up because, you know, 32 well, years old is when you enter your twilight years and all these things start happening to you, so... Well, you, you don't know. look a day... Day over fifty-three. Nope. So it's just like uh, <laughs> Louis C.K. said uh, at, at forty or so. Uh, doctors stop fixing things; they just it's, report to you what's broken. Yeah, this is oh, this shit doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work. work. Yeah, no, so no, no. I'm afraid that that's what's happening to my digestive system. <laughs> And soon to follow the endocrine system and all the nice other circulatory and <laughs> I'm running out of systems. As long as Rest my PC engine system does not fail, oh, I am fine. Oh wow! So what have I been doing? Well, I'm supposed to be writing a new NES Punk episode. It's been a slow coming, slow time coming because uh, I put out a flea market madness last week, and I had a visitor here uh, spending time here for like five days, uh, which you should hear about. It should be pretty cool when it's uh, announced, and that'll be later, hopefully in June. And uh, then I'm working on my writing project that I might announce soon. That'll be cool. Ian's so excited for the writing project. I'm, I'm trying to look forward. I'm looking look engaged. Forward. This looking is engagement. Engaged. Well, okay. Uh, you're not showing your teeth as much as before, but okay, you're still engaged. <laughs> and, and then, um, uh, other than that, though, uh, I might be at E3 at least for a day or two. That could be fun. Hmm. Doing what? I don't know. But I might be at E3. The E3 thing has never appealed to me. Every year, it's like, do you want to go and... Uh, we just send our employees instead. I mean, is it fun? You've done it before. Is well, it a good time? It's, I, it's fun when someone doesn't stab you in the back and make up lies about you. But other than that, you well, know, it's, that, it's, it's, it's not exactly it's where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's fun to talk to. It's actually fun. The, the press conferences are fun. 
Okay. Um, so I've been to. Uh, I was at the the initial one in 2011 when they first announced the Wii U. When they were when they were so confused and people were confused, like, is this an add-on or a new system? Like that's how far back. That was the first one I went to. 11, 12, and 13. So I've been to a few conferences. Uh, usually Nintendo's are really fun. They they do a fun one. I think I went to. I can't remember. I think I went to another one. Like it was either a Sony or Microsoft one. But I was like, I probably fell asleep during it. Right. I think I might have been to a Sony one in 2011 or 12. Um, but no, I, I like walking around the floor. I like the uh, for retro game stuff. I mean, it used to be that you'd see, um, like uh, three years ago, you'd have Konami with all their retro game stuff, and Namco booth would have stuff, and then a Sega booth, and then you'd have Atari putting out their uh, their new Warlords or Centipede Infestation game. And now they're not there anymore. Like those games are, are no longer exist as so it's so there's less retro game stuff for me to even look for. When to. I used to read about the E3s in like the late '90s and you know growing up and whatnot. One of my favorite things was in like the late '90s, early 2000s, like uh, Sean Baby, but not just him. Other people would talk about the those back the, the, back the alleys. abandoned halls in the back alleys with with like the weird bullshit. Do the, those still exist? No, not to the same extent for a okay. couple of reasons. I think the space is a lot more money, and I think there, it's a lot more competitive in the market. So there's no like sort of wayward places. I mean, if you go to the edges of conventions, whether it's PAX East, you'll have, like, it's less money to be on the edge in the small booths, but it's it's a less it's less of a jokey thing like Sean Baby would report on in, like, the mid to late 90s. I think it's a little more professional. Now, if you go to uh, CES, that's a whole other story. Because uh. CES is a field day of that stuff because you have companies literally coming from uh, all over the Asian market. They A lot of them have either interpreters or can't speak English. We're talking like they have all this shit, all this toys, and they do have like, at least when I went to CES five years ago, they had a whole like extra building room just for like the, say, the lower caliber people. See, that, that, would, that would entice me to go to like, something like, like that. Like people selling the rollout uh, piano USB devices. You know, like, yeah. oh, then they come up to you, oh, you want... 10,000 of these? 20,000? It's like, whoa, whoa, I'm just looking. Like, they're looking for buyers. Right. You know I mean, it's like, it's this is how they're making their money for the year. You know, but that doesn't exist anymore at E3, at least. Let's talk about Splatoon. So, Splatoon's exciting for a number of reasons. Uh, mostly because Nintendo, for the first time in, I don't even fucking know how long, it has a new IP, a new creative property. 10 uh, years. Yeah, and I mean, they really took a, a risk on this one, too, because the look is decidedly um, outside of Nintendo's normal look. Nintendo is always fun-looking, but this has... I've been always I've been having a lot of fun trying to describe the aesthetic. I think on Twitter I described it as uh, American late 90s Extreme Cheetos Future Japan. Like, I mean, it's got a little bit of Jet Set Radio, a little bit of Designers Republic, and a whole lot of, like, 1990s Nickelodeon in it. And it looks unlike anything Nintendo's done. Um, third-person shooter. Yeah, so it's a third-person shooter, and while it does have a single-player mode... Uh, it has been advertised as and is largely a multiplayer game, which is also new for Nintendo. I mean, they're stepping into two different pools of strange water there. There's the fact that they've never really done a shooter like this before, and then there's the fact that there's all these games that are coming out these days, let's say like Titanfall or something like that, that entirely rely on like being online. And while Nintendo did put a first person or a first uh, a single player campaign in here, uh, the fact that it is mostly online is risky for them. Sure. So, I mean, to basically review it and talk about the time I've spent, and I did spend quite a bit of time with it over the weekend. Uh, it's fantastic. It's not without some minor problems, and I'll touch on those. Well, let's talk about like what what like what is this game? So it's 
there's not a whole lot about what. So you are a squid person, and these squid people like to have fights with ink. It's uh, not malicious. Uh, they're not fighting a war. They just run around and shoot paint everywhere. So you get two teams of four, and you can pick from three basic subclasses of weapons. Rollers, uh, guns, which are called uh, splatter shots, and the uh, sniper rifles, which are called chargers. And each one leaves paint behind when you shoot. Uh, the rollers don't shoot, they just roll. Um, so they cover large portions, but they leave you vulnerable and open and slow. Uh, the splatter shots are kind of your your middle ground. And then you have your snipers who can't do much coverage because their line of their, their, their shot is very narrow. But strategically, they're useful for choke points. But well, what's the goal? To cover as much of the ground in your own color of paint as possible. And there was like three minutes you get about? You get three minutes. And, and it's insanely frantic. It's like choo-choo rocket levels of frantic. Um, so the, the the interesting mechanic beyond just the fact that you're playing a game where you're just supposed to cover everything in paint is the fact that your squid kid can turn into a squid squid. And when you're a squid, you can swim through your own paint. What this does is it increases your movement speed... Uh, it hides you. Uh, it doesn't protect you, but it hides you when you're moving. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes you harder to see. And uh, you can use it to climb up walls, to hit ramps, to jump. To jump, yeah, to get to get higher jumps from one area to another. So it's really important immediately to learn how to uh, swim in the ink and when you should. It also is uh, the only way you can refill your weapon. Um, so does it work? Yeah, it works incredibly well. Uh, it works so well that when you're losing, uh, you're still having fun. Um, the v- lack of voice chat does not affect my enjoyment of it in any way, shape, or form, and I'll give you two reasons why. One is going to go back into touching on the game. One, I always fear going online in games that require me to talk to strangers because I don't like to fucking do it. It's not even so much the shit talkers. It's just the fact that I don't like to to, to deal with a bunch of people I don't know when I'm trying to play something sure. team-based. The other reason why you don't need it is because of the integral nature of the gamepad. And this is something I like. Um, because a lot of the Wii U games that have come out haven't really needed it. And that's okay. That means that if Vani wants to watch Doctor Who or something, I can pick up the gamepad and play Mario Kart 8. No problem. But on the gamepad when you're playing Splatoon, you get a map that shows you how much of the map you've covered in your paint from an overhead view and how much of the map has been covered by the opponent's paint. But an important thing that you can do in the game is called rocket jumping, and you're not limited to how many of these you can do. On the map, it will show where your other teammates are. And by pressing one of their buttons with their name and their face on it, you will immediately, not immediately, there's a warm-up period to it, but you'll rocket off and fly across the screen as a squid and land next to your teammate to provide backup, or if you've got everything covered down here, but he's made progress into enemy territory, you can jump to him mm-hmm. and cover the paint. And that's important, too, because enemy paint will poison you. So if you get hit by it, you're dead. So you've got to make sure that if someone's trying to cover something, that someone with a wider range can also cover the outer areas so that you can run and escape oh, from it. Okay, so it's, it's obviously team-based. Um, there's one main game mode, and I do think Nintendo is going to be releasing more, though, more types of game modes, which which is, unfortunately, that's the world we're living in now, where it's not just because, well, at least they're not going to be charging for it, but I think it's to keep interest where six, seven months from now, you're still going to have these different modes and events coming out. Because I saw that, how the, I did see about how there's going to be like timed weekend events for like special competitions and things yep. like that. That's a really cool idea so to get people playing the game at certain times. You're going to get those. 
Um, but they're doing new gear and weapon updates. They're doing map updates. Um, at least until August. August is when they put up team building uh, and they add two new game modes. Um, until then, they're adding weapons. Like they just added, they added the Nintendo Zapper. It's called the uh, Splat Zap eighty five, and it is literally a Nintendo Zapper. Um, another big thing about the game is clothing, and with which they add clothing is like basically armor. So you dress up your squid however you want, but it gives you stat boosts like increased uh, range, uh, decreased ink usage, etc. So the main reason I think Nintendo is doing this is, and I'm happy they're not charging for it, is I look at it this way. With modern games, we have people who are putting out games at 60 and then charging 30 on top for additional content. Nintendo's putting out a game at 60, and they're rolling out content slowly. This keeps people holding on to the game that they enjoy. This keeps people from mm-hmm. selling back the game. This keeps word of mouth going around. Hey, they just added all this stuff. People get more interested. People go out and buy new copies of the game because mm-hmm. there aren't as many used copies on the shelf. Nintendo is finding, I think, if I had to guess, this is Nintendo finding an interesting way to make more money off of new game sales and not piss off the consumers with things like immediately necessary $30 season passes. Or or having the exclusive GameStop version where you get ink armor that's not available at first or whatever. So they're doing it in a smart way. My only object, uh, objection to um, any first person or any, like this isn't first person, any shooter game, is that having it too, too imbalanced where a person just getting in the game uh, will get destroyed by someone that's leveled up so much already and won't have a chance. Because most, most good uh, shooters don't do that and it relies more on, okay, equal skill, equal weapons, equal armament options. That's my only sort of, okay, that's kind of unique for a shooter, a competitive shooter, to, to venture into that realm where you can level up to that extent and get different weapons that other players can't get. That's the only thing that kind of bothers me. I hope they really keep the balancing of the weapons. It sounds like there's a lot of different type of weapons here. There is. Um, so the, the weapon balance is key. Even for a game where, where the main objective is not to kill the other player, it's still key, obviously, in controlling uh, what comes down to like a, a turf war. That's well, what they call it, let right? Me, let me put it this way. Um, if you're worried about the balance, some of the weapons that I've unlocked at higher levels have proven to not be quite so useful in turf war. They might be more useful in splat zones, which is a territory control. Meanwhile, there are a lot of people who are at level 12, 13, and I think the cap currently is at 20, who are still using the first gun because it's balanced enough to do whatever still be used. Sure. Just like the splat zap wasn't, I don't believe, wasn't walled off to any level. Anyone who started playing could go and buy it, and tons of people are using it now because it's fun and it gets the job done. So I don't think there's a huge issue with that. Um, people initially were concerned that the rollers were going to be overpowered, but I gotta tell you, after a day of playing, I can sit there and pick off rollers, and it, it, it's it's not an issue. Okay, uh, so <clears throat> to, for those people that complain about Nintendo not having a new IP, here you go. I mean, and plus it's in a genre they never tackled before, with the exception of Metroid Prime. You can say if you can call those shooters you can, shooters on semi rails, you know, they're more adventure you know. games than anything. Yeah. but um, I uh, guess in closing, I just say, it, I mean, it's fun. It looks great. It sounds great. It's fun to play. It's gonna be. You have a cat judge. You have a cat, yeah, Judd. Judd is amazing. (laughs) Judd's his name, and he sleeps on top of a a mailbox uh, when you're not playing. Um, But yeah, Judd's fantastic. When you, when you, when you, when the game ends, when the match ends, you have a rough idea of how well you did, but it it creeps the bars up Uh to like even levels, like 26.2 and 26.2, and it hangs for a second, 
and it crushes one way or another, and it's just, I mean, the tension is, is, is fun. Do you like the whole interface of having, like, the city to go into, and, the, and the, what is it, the Squid Sisters to, to announce stuff? Do you like that? Is it fun? Yeah, or? I like it. I don't, it. I don't find that annoying. I like all the puns. I like all the forced, like, 90s slang. All of that, to me... It's is, in a different language, though, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. They sound like Animal language. Crossing characters. Okay. Um, but it's, to me, like, when I read that stuff, it, it, to me, it just goes with the aesthetic. The only other thing I would touch on is this. I have seen people concerned. Um, so my review of the game is definitely a thumbs up. But there are people who seem concerned about Nintendo's ability to maintain a player base. Which, okay, if you look at some games like Evolve or Titanfall, where player bases fall off, or you go back to like the Xbox 360, all every game had an online mode, you know, something like Fear or whatever. But you know, you'd lose players within a month. I think people who are fearing that Nintendo's not going to be able to retain this player base forget that this is on the Wii U. The system is kind of, I don't want to say clicky or cultish, but it's its its own little circle. Mm-hmm. And while there are definitely enough good games on the system to warrant buying it, it's not like there's something co- new coming out every week. You're not going to see another Splatoon on the system. Just like you're not really going to see another Mario Kart or another Smash. I think that these are games that are probably going to be played for a good chunk of the Wii U's lifespan simply because of the nature of how the Nintendo systems work and, you know, their own IPs tend to stick out more than anything. You don't have a lot... I guess, for better or worse, you don't have a lot of other options. Real quick about the uh, UK shipment um, of... What was it? The Amiibo packs, uh, yeah. a Splatoon, that were basically the entire stock was stolen for... Uh, what's the main main game store in the UK? I don't remember. But it was basically, we'll just say, the, the, the vast majority of the UK supply was stolen, which is obviously really shitty, on one truck. It's awful. Um, and it just goes to show you how fucking ridiculous this Amiibo shit has gotten when people oh, okay. are heisting. Heisting I don't, trucks Okay, okay hold on there. I don't think this was a GTA thing where they knew what it was. Let, and then, me, let me think what I want in my head. Yeah. <laughs> this was I don't heist. think it said Nintendo Splatoon <laughs> uh, on the side. I think they just got a random truck or or, or could have been an inside job where the driver knew someone. And nah, the, it was a pack you know. of like five motorcycles with walkie-talkies. Oh, they yeah? all knew it was Amiibos. And, and Vin Diesel's around in the yeah, car. Yeah, and, there was grappling hooks. Yeah, yeah that's how one time. Michelle Rodriguez shows up and jumps <laughs> off jumps off the car in every single freaking movie. Yeah. Um, it's, it's bad. I don't know how they're going to unload all those. You're talking probably like 20,000 or whatever. How it's, many? Yeah. So if it's uh, the majority 10, of the shipment, how are you going to unload hot Amiibos? I like that? I mean, What are you going to do? Ship them back to the U.S.? Yeah, you're going to do, gonna do a Dutch auction on eBay <laughs> with like 5,000? Buy it now? You know, what are you going to do? I do feel bad though to a degree because honestly the, the, these uh, Amiibos I actually have some coming. Our, our pal Norm is actually help helped me out with that. Um, these amiibos do more for the game than almost any other amiibo. They let you unlock uh, gear through each each amiibo has twenty additional missions, and oh, wow. that unlocks so that would be sixty total missions for the three amiibos, and you unlock new gear that you can't get in the game. So it, it actually gives you something instead of just a, a costume. They got to open it out of the package. <gasps> yeah, I'm gonna slice mine open as soon as I get it. Ugh. Uh, this was interesting. This happened. And this is old news for people that complain. This is old news. If you don't realize, we don't actually don't record every day and wear the same stuff. We record people every seem other to think week. That. It's hilarious. People I, seem to think I, that I, I have a large bottle of I, beer every segment. Well, every day, but I don't think I could have you over every day. Anyway, so what yeah. happened was uh, this was like this happened basically the day of the last podcast, uh, and we've talked about H one Z one before. I think way in the past. Uh, you know, one of these zombie survival games. Or is there's it so a, many. Is it a zombie survival? Or is it just a survival? It's, game? No, it's a zombie survival. It's a zombie survival. Um, 
so I guess I so I guess there's more and more rampant cheating happening in the community with all these mods that are available. So <laughs> I love this guy. His name's John Smedley. Um and, and I, I guess he's in charge uh of H one Z one. And so he just basically tweeted, um why do these dumbasses keep using TM Cheats, which I guess is the downloadable mod? Have you people not figured out we ban you all? So they did like a blanket ban <laughs> of all these players. And this is a paid game uh, subscription you got to pay. Yeah. So I guess people were tired of, uh, you know, I, I, getting in the game and using these mods. So I don't know much about this game. All I do know is that this guy did an awesome sort of fuck you to these uh, cheaters and said... Um, if you want us to even consider your apology, a public YouTube apology is necessary in order to be unbanned. Well, no personal information. Please email me the link. So it's it's it's, <laughs> it's interesting because shame them. I'm not even sure it's a subscription. It could be. I think it might have been free to play. But you obviously have to dump money into it. And what people were getting pissed about, I think, was the people who wanted to play it legitimately getting bulldozed by the people who aren't playing it legitimately. Um. So yeah, he 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 puts that out there. And there are some, so they start rolling in, and some of them don't seem very genuine. Like, 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 just because he said make a YouTube apology, doesn't mean that if you make one, you're going to get reinstated. As a matter of fact, they've only reinstated three accounts. From what I saw, it said three out of the, they banned thirty thousand people. They've reinstated three accounts, and they said that by the end of it, he does not expect to reinstate more than four or five total. Wow! And these people were like. It's funny because I don't, I can't watch the, these these videos. Luck, luckily, some of them have transcripts underneath them, and they're all like these kind of like couched apologies with like, hey "Well, guys. this is why I did it." Yeah. But, but I'm sorry, on, guys are yeah. beating on me. I was tired of getting picked on when I get in the game. I spent a lot of money on this, but, you know, I guess I'm sorry for cheating. Yeah, I mean, it was just whatever. The update was he did ban five out of 30,000. That was like 14 days ago. He he had reinstated five Five out of of (laughs) 30,000. I just think it's funny as hell. I do, too, because, like, look, if you do this and you want to say some shit, fine. But um, have you ever played a game online and you suck at it, and you're trying to get good, or any game, and you're trying to get good, and then you find out that your opposition is cheating on top of you trying um, to get better? Fuck that. I'm glad that, yeah. I'm glad they did this, because um, the only real competitive gaming... Yeah, I was semi-competitive when I played Unreal Tournament in yeah. uh, 2004. Um, there were lots of hacks going on, and there was... Uh, there wasn't... You know, the developer didn't give a shit. Like, there wasn't, like, any blanket... Blank, blanket bans that I knew of, it was all uh, police within the community. If you saw someone using, I think it was called like the hit scan, mm-hmm. where like, as soon as the cursor goes over over the guy, it'll fire automatically. Right. Or being able to see through walls to see where a person was. That's hard to prove that, uh, unless you have the developer helping out, and giving tools to people to help out. Right. Otherwise, they don't care. The game's been out for like three years, and we don't care. We made our money. It's, it's not worth our time to police yeah. this. So I'm glad that they're taking a positive sort of step here, especially if you said if it's not subscription based, people are paying into this to enjoy this game. Yeah, it could be wrong. With I don't that. like these survival games either way. I've I've watched gameplay footage of this stuff. This goes back to the ones we've covered, where where. You well, know, that's the thing. I don't even remember which one we've covered because there's like 15 of these things now. There's ones where you start off with, and you're like naked with no clothes, and then you have to beat beat someone over the head with a rock to get their stuff, and it's just like it's just not for me. But no, I'm glad shame, shame the cheaters, and I, I I don't like to judge people too much when it comes to this, but I will. What is in your character that you have to cheat at a video game, like to this extent, and then right. ruin it for uh, ruin the experience for other people? Like, I just don't understand that mentality. Like, what? 
It's like the Call of Duty players or, or Battlefield players who buy the modified controllers. Who Whose dick? Are, I mean, what is the point of this? Are, are you, are you puffing like, up like, your own penis? It's like I a, mean, they fire a teeny bit faster with the handgun or something. It, 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 it lets like the slow fire weapons uh, become like rapid fire and stuff. So like you're really really strong like one or two shot you know rifles or whatever turn into like machine guns basically. It's just it's stupid. It's dumb. You know what else is stupid? <laughs> Stupidity, uh, apparently these days, is going up against Nintendo in the handheld market. Um, the Sony said in a uh, investors conference uh, last uh, last week that the uh, Vita is now a legacy console, along with the PlayStation TV, also known as the Vita, wow. the Vita TV. We, which, talk, we talked about that in the first podcast, I think. What? The Vita TV. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it only... So it's been less than two years. It only hit here, not... It, you know, we talked about it, but it hasn't hit here. It didn't hit here until, like, I think, like, five, six months ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So it hasn't even been here that long. So, it's a legacy console, and that's a nice way of saying... Absolutely. We're done supporting it. <laughs> um, now, obviously, that does not mean that there are no more games coming out for it. It means Sony's done investing in it. Um, they're done putting money into games... Uh, they did, you know, they have been good to indie developers, uh, apparently, about getting out, like, free dev kits or cheap dev kits so they can make games for it. And there are obviously going to be a lot of companies in Japan that are still going to make, you know, uh, niche RPGs and stuff like that. And those will see releases over here, you know, some of them. Um, so it's not like it's going, you, you know, from this point on, you're never going to see another Vita game again. But it's, it's... Man, Sony threw in the towel fast on that one. I mean, I mean, I know we're talking probably two or three years, but that's quick. And the PSP, you know, did okay for them, but wasn't great. Um, what was even more humorous uh, for the, 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 the legacy console comment um, is that a lower Sony rep, a PR rep, came out and said that... Um, what Mr. House... Andrew House said about the Sony being a legacy console, uh, was actually referring to the old 1000 model of the system and uh, writing off those components. The one that's 10 years old? (laughs) No, no, no. The the original Vita 1000, uh, which would be like the first model that came out like three years ago. Oh, no, I'm thinking original PSP. No, 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 no. Uh, That's what he's he's talking about, the the original one. Except for the fact that that hasn't been in manufacture for like a year. And that's not what he's talking about. Um and the the guy the, the the representative was like he doesn't mean the current PS Vita or PS TV models, but it's just you can try to save face all you want. The Vita's done. It never got a foothold here. That's in Sony. Sony is not going to lie to their investors. Here's the thing: the the the, the Sony spokesperson is is trying to do a public face saving, but what um, Andrew House did was tell the investors. Please don't worry about this monkey on our back anymore. It's in the past. We are no longer going to throw money that is wasted at this. He has to say that to um, bring their confidence back up in Sony. Uh, They're not going to continue to support something that's going to cause them to lose investor money. Sony needs all the money they can get now. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the company's uh, in great shape to begin with. So they're probably like, oh, well, you have this, this handheld wing over here that's making us jack shit. Yeah, you know the the PS4 is not profitable probably still, so it's like, well, get rid of this at least. Well, but the P- the, but the PS4 they have a shot to be profitable with that, yeah, uh, eventually, it's, but not not for the handheld market. The PS4 is selling, and that was their last ditch effort was to try to position the Vita as a PS4 peripheral. 
and still no one's buying it. Um, I mean, no one cares. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it, it, it's partially indicative of handhelds in general, but really, it's indicative of the fact that Nintendo did it first, and that I think when people look for portables, they're always going to look for Nintendo. There are going to be some Sony super fans who are who are going to bemoan me saying that, but let's look at all the other systems that have tried to go up against Nintendo handhelds: the Game Gear, the Lynx, the Neo Geo Pocket Color, the Wonder Swan, the PSP. All systems that GameCom. did Gamecom, all systems that did not even come close to putting a dent into the Nintendo sales, even if they were good systems. Well, the Game Gear did well. Game Gear did fairly well. Well, the PS- it, it, in, in the first uh, PSP, uh, admittedly, did do fairly well too. But still, it's not. It's not even close. So no, you, you know that it's not close. They did enough to not be failures. They just did not. They didn't do enough. It's all, to about, really... the, it's all about the software for the handhelds. Or soft, software in any system, but Nintendo handhelds always had the software. When we talk at uh, when 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 handheld chat comes out at work, uh, it basically boils down to the Vita is a real slick piece of hardware. It's really nice. The 3DS has the games. It's like the, it's like the Betamax, better than VHS, but doesn't matter. No, there's no there's no nothing to <laughs> right. play on it. Sure, the Vita, the modern, the modern day Betamax, which portable is now, gaming, which is now becoming Blu-ray because no one has Blu-ray. Um, so this is a uh, interesting. This came up. We talked about uh, Kickstarter for remember it was like a year and a half ago about the ColecoVision one about I think it was like to get twenty ColecoVision games as uh, on an app, mm-hmm. and that didn't do well. This one's not doing well either, and this is for Intellivision. Uh, this is for uh, this is for the Intellivision. It's called Gen Two Video Games. This is by um, a company. Um, called, I think it's a Retro Action? Yeah, it is. Retro, retro Action, Action Entertainment. Entertainment. And they're working closely with um, uh, Keith Robinson, president of Intellivision Productions, and Dave Warhol, former original television game designer and owner of Development Studios Real-Time Associates. Okay, so what they're doing here is they want to uh, do a Kickstarter. The goal is $100,000 to get three of the more popular games, uh, one of which we cover on Video Game Years. Um, Astro Smash, which eventually became the packing game. Yep. Uh, Shark Shark, and Night Stalker. All three are actually quite fun. I am, I'm not Pro- probably that. in the upper echelon of Intellivision. Yeah. Games. Um, Astro Smash is fantastic. In fact, um, Astro Smash is is sort of like uh, I guess Asteroids meet Space Invaders, and you, you go lose. back and forth, and you shoot, and they break up, and you have to avoid the broken up uh, asteroids yeah. coming down. And again. the thing I always liked is you lose points for every asteroid that you let hit the ground. So there's a there's an incentive to keep things frantic and to constantly dive around the screen. Shark, shark, you uh, you have to avoid the sharks. It's the classic eat small fish until you become bigger, eat less small fish. With each fish that you eat, you get bigger and bigger, basically. And then I'm not too familiar with uh, Night Stalker, but you said that's a, that's a maze game, single screen? It's a maze game that is similar to like Pac-Man meets Berserk, sort of. You can you can get a gun and then you have to shoot the robots and get out, but it's it's narrow like Pac-Man. So the, so the goal was $100,000, and they're not going to, uh, I guess, do this project unless it gets funded, which is a shame for a couple of reasons, because uh, obviously there's 140 backers only, and that's not a lot of support for this. Uh, but obviously there's Intellivision fans. But it's, what's, what's strange to me is that, though, is that at least two of these games have full trailer, like like minutes of gameplay footage. So these are developed. Like six, these, six minutes and 29 seconds of a revamped version of Astro Smash to me says that that game is basically ready to go out the door. And there's also gameplay footage of Shark Shark. Shark, Shark yes. Night Stalker, I didn't find it, though. No. Uh, but, so at least for two out of these three games, they they seem ready to go. These aren't the most like most complicated games. No. Um, so it's a fresh-coated paint. 
You're reskinning him and you're adding a couple new power-ups, which to me doesn't really need to be done, but okay. So, um, if there's not a market for it, that's fine. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just trying to wrap my head around... $100,000? Yes, that's what I'm trying to wrap I, my head it's around. It's sort of strange because, again, it's not like... If these, weren't, if these weren't developed at all from scratch, okay, I can see them needing the money to put into that. And I would assume that they already got the rights to do these, otherwise why go through the development cycles to get to that point for, right. for these new versions? Um. So yeah, I mean, there's not much more I can really say about it. It's, it's probably will not get funded. Well, um. So for those few dozen fans of Intellivision games out there that want to remake, I mean, I guess play the originals th- that are out there. There is this, which to me is kind of weird. Uh, we've had some questions regarding our use of funds. Here's a breakdown detailing where the money will be going. Because I question why you need a hundred thousand dollars to put out three games, two of which look almost finished. Uh, and 50% of it, just a solid 50% chunk of the pie chart, says game development. And uh, just off, Okay, so 50000 for game development. If you scroll down into the bottom of the oh, Kickstarter, I see it. yeah. I see uh, it. How is that? I mean, okay. 10% for licensing. Again, I would assume they got licensing, though, uh, if they're already developing it. Yep, me too. Um, rewards and fulfillment, that's fine. You have fees. That, that's fine. I'm not going to question that. Legal and taxes, 11%. Okay, there's taxes. Uh, business expensive, IT, customer service, etc. I don't question the small pieces of the pie. I you question the, the big, big piece of the pie because, look, you have almost no backers right now and no money. Uh, a lot of the money is coming from, if I recall correct, correctly, uh, higher tier backers. So it's just a few people who are interested so far in this and some so, of them are paying more. Why do you need 100000 then to put these out? You already have two almost complete games. And it's not like it's unreasonable. They're asking basically 5 bucks a game. If you get all three, it's uh, fifteen dollars for the gener- uh, for the uh, digital download of all three for the Gen-, Gen Two games, and then there's other ones where you can get the um, you can get a subscription to Retro, which I used to write for. I think I've written for issues two through five on that. I think I've written three or four on that. So, um, yeah, I. I but you know what you can do? You can go out there. Did they sell? I actually saw at the swap meet. They have the little Intellivision yeah. all-in-ones. I bet you those controllers work better than the original controllers. They probably do. And you get like 30, 40 games on it. So. The thing is, like, I would actually play this version of Astro Smash. Like, Astro Smash. Um, <laughs> Smash. Looking at it, I was like, I don't think the power-ups are needed. But, I mean, I'd play it just because I like Astro Smash. I'd give it a shot. But I'd- So why not just put it on the App Store and see how many people buy it if it's already developed? Exactly. You don't need a Kickstarter for this. Develop it if you already have the licensing. If you're working on the games, maybe that's why you don't see a Night Stalker stuff. Maybe I don't. I don't maybe know. they're still waiting for that one, right? But you know, throw the Astro Smash out in the water and just see what it does. Like start, you know, business used to do. Start start with one and then work your way up to the other. See if there's interest. I have no problem with Kickstarter. I just sometimes feel like these people are shooting for the moon. This was announced a couple of days ago. This was uh. A new Mega Man series announced for 2017, which will coincide with the uh, 30th anniversary of the game. It would, you know what would have been cool for a 30th anniversary? A new game would have been cool. Been cool. I, I knew at least one of the canceled Mega Man games would have been Mega cool. Man Legends 3, uh, followed by a little Universe that for they 30th. Can, yeah, Universe would have been fun. Universe was looking good, too. Um, this is kind of interesting, just because I've, I've always thought that Mega Man would probably make a great sort of monster of the week cartoon or show because you have all these really 
neat, different bad guys with crazy powers. You know, that would be fun to watch. I know there was a Mega Man animated series in the 90s, and I never saw it. I saw a little bit. It was good. I, th- I thought it was, it was, the animation was great. From what I heard, like, I think Vani said she didn't much care for it, but she did say it looked nice. Yeah, it was anime style. It yeah. was fine. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say uh, about this, but, I mean, I, I, would, I would certainly I, give it a I shot. I just think it's strange that a company that cancels its Mega Man games and harbors very bad ill will from its fan base of Mega Man is now putting out a uh, a property um, a, a cartoon property with no game that's come out for like what's the last me- by the time this comes out 2017 what was the last Mega Man game uh, I guess I guess Mega Man 10 and what was that like 2012 9 11 10. 11. 2011. So, well, yeah, because we'll I think Mega Man 9 was 2009. So we'll just say six years in between your last game that you're now doing a cartoon about. It's just really weird. Well, Capcom's certainly not ashamed of, uh, you know, you know, money grubbing. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I mean, they've been... I mean, you might think this is strange, but since that time they've also relaunched... I, I guess I don't... Cause yeah, it stopped. They relaunched the comic, too. And I mean, they've put they've been putting out monthly issues of the well, Mega Man comics. So, I mean, well, they're, they're just licensing it. Probably they're just saying they're just getting paid for the rights. Okay, fine, do it. Just give us I, our money. I actually think Udon is doing it. But yeah, so so I mean, to them, it's not any risk. Okay, this company's going to pay us a hundred thousand dollars to do the cartoon rights. All right, do it. You know, and this isn't a risk care. to them either. That's what I'm getting at. It it is weird what you say, but at this point, we shouldn't expect anything less from Capcom. Do you think there's a chance of a Mega Man game for the 30th anniversary? I don't know. I really don't. I, 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 I don't know. I don't think so. And because of some of the things you said, like the ill will with some Mega Man fans, there are Mega Man fans who would be fine to get it, but there are a lot of Mega Man fans, I think, who would not... who would not care knowing that the, you know, that a lot of the original creative people behind it are, are no longer with it. Maybe you'll see. Uh, maybe it'll be a Mighty Number no. Nine tie-in with uh, the Mega Man cards, <laughs> since that's the, that's the only Mega Man game we might see in the in the in the future. Um, we'll see what happens. The original cartoon was interesting, just because um, I, uh, from what I remember when I rewatched a couple of clips, um, Proto Man was like the, the right hand man of Doctor Wily in it, and um, they did, they mixed it up with the Robot Masters. It wasn't just from like one or two games. They sort of mixed it up. It was like, I mean, it came out in the mid '90s, so it had. Like the first five or six Mega Mans to draw from, uh, for that one. Yeah, uh, depending. I mean, mid nineties would be at least the first six. I don't yeah, know. so I think it had the NES games to draw from, and um, yeah, it had Roll in it. It had uh, Doctor Light. It had the um, uh, the dog, and uh, whatever. Rush. Rush. Ro- Rush. Rock. Roll. There you go. And actually, his name is Rock on the show. Even though they call him as Mega Man, his first name is Rock. So they actually. Oh, that's that kind of cool, actually. So it's, everyone wins with the Mega Man. Go watch the '90s Mega Man cartoon. <laughs> go check it out if you haven't seen it. We don't talk about remakes too much, but I want to talk about this one because this was this was one of those VHS uh, dubs that I, I beat to death. This was like um, on this tape. It, it was these three movies. It was like uh, Big Trouble, Little China, uh, Naked Gun, and The Major League. Very eclectic mix, but that's what we had in this VHS tape. And so, um, I, I would watch uh, Big Trouble Little China like weekly as a kid. All recorded in what was the lowest quality LP? It was LP, EP, LP, and SP. yeah. LP was like six hours. Oh, yeah, exactly. Was it? Or no, EP was six hours. LP was four hours. And then SP was, was two hours. SP yeah. was like the, the higher quality. And then well, once you got the four or six, and that tape was winding slowly, it's, it looked like crap. Either way, though, once you watch a VHS tape like more than like twelve times, it's going to start looking terrible anyway. Um, <laughs> So, Big Trouble in China is a, is a is obviously it's one of those like cult movies that really 
gained more and more notoriety once it got to the 90s and VHS and once the DVD that was one of the first DVDs I ever bought right when I found out wow I was like, wow there's a DVD coming out with like awesome menus and all these special features uh, and delete all the deleted scenes Remember on there. Remember when DVDs were new? I mean, even things like the menus it's were only, pretty impressive. It's only like 15 years ago. I, I, I mean, I still remember I worked in a in, in a Suncoast uh, uh, video store right when like it was still 90% VHS. We're talking like 99. It was like 90% VHS. And then you had like this little shelf like this. Like this was literally like the DVD section. It was like not not even this. No, a, su- a Suncoast was directly responsible for me buying my DVD player in '99. Yeah, like, and it was yeah the the, the we're selection talking, was this. We're talking like '98 or '99 when there was literally only still like 150 DVDs at most. Yeah. Like it wasn't like the new the new movies coming out on, on for for VHS. Not all of them were even on DVD. I remember like the Fight Club DVD being one of the first big ones that came out ever because there were so many special features. Or the Memento one. Uh, seven. Yeah. Seven, Seven was a big one too. Memento had this really, really difficult to figure out menu system that like you need instructions to play the movie. It was insane. Like when you put the DVD, it's like what? What's the? How do I play this? You like go through another menu and hit this icon, hit the eye or something. It was like really weird. Anyway, <laughs> I know we're getting way off topic here, but Big Trouble Little China. I adore that movie. It's the action is fantastic. Uh, uh, Kurt Russell is great. The actor who plays uh, Wang Chi is fantastic. He's actually the hero. The, 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 the little secret about Big Trouble Little China is that uh, Kurt Russell is actually the sidekick of the movie. He doesn't really do anything. I've never actually seen the movie. You've never... Jesus Christ. How did this become a topic? You've never seen the movie, but basically... Kurt you wanted Russell, to talk about it. Kurt Russell's the, the big John Wayne says all the action sort of stuff, but actually he's kind of a buffoon. Right. And then the little sidekick Wang is is the hero and, and saves the day and really gets the job done. It's, it's a movie yeah. that I've always wanted to see, um, but I keep waiting for it to be on Netflix, and it was for a while. And then I finally sat down to watch it one night, and it wasn't on Netflix anymore. Was it on Netflix? No, <laughs> so I have to wait for it to be on Netflix again. And once you see it, it has it has all the um, all the Asian actors you'd always see in other movies, like the bad guy in Lethal Weapon, and also Die Hard. Like <laughs> he shows up, they got everyone involved. But no uh, Bolo, right? No Bolo. Young. No Bolo. Yeah, he's 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 in uh, he's not in the U.S. No Bolo. Young. Um, so they're remaking it uh, with The Rock being cast, I guess, as Kurt Russell's uh, Jack Burton uh, character, who's the yeah he 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 drives the Pork Chop Express, the big rig, and. Um, I think The Rock could do well, but he the thing about The Rock, buffoon. but The Rock is too big and muscular and too brawny. I think like Kurt Russell is not a small guy; he's probably like six two, mm-hmm. you know. But he's like The Rock could, looks like he can kill you. He's huge. He's especially now he's gotten so jacked, and now he's in his early forties. He's gotten more jacked than ever before. And Kurt Russell never had that look about him. Kurt Russell had the look of a guy who thought he was tough that could take you right. on and might get a, a shot in or two. But Rock's a guy who can get a shot in and then break you in half. So it's really interesting that they're going that direction. Uh, and I wonder if they're not going to do a straight action remake which, instead of a uh, action comedy, which would be totally a mistake if they if they went that route. Oh yeah. Um, uh, but but then again, why remake a uh, a movie like this? Well, it's a cult movie, and, and Frank's rule about remakes is do it for a movie you couldn't do right the first time or a movie that did poorly. And Big Trouble Little China did not do well at the box office when it came out. Uh, it was a John Carpenter film, if you didn't know. Yes, it was supposed to, it was supposed to be uh the sequel to Buckaroo Banzai before they, they changed it and went to a different direction. Um so yeah, so you never see it, you have to see it. I well know. I'm a huge Carpenter fan too, so I have to it's, see it. So apparently not. Well, <laughs> apparently not huge enough, but yes. And it's, it has Kim Cattrall at the height of her fame. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, Kim Cattrall is, is the love interest. And she has green eyes, and the, and the action's actually really good. Like there's well choreographed uh, fight sequences with like you know fifty, sixty guys going at it once. There have there I've I have seen parts of it like when I've been at parties and stuff, and it's been on, but I've never sat down and watched the whole thing. Speaking of martial arts, 
We're going to talk about Kung Fury. We're not going to talk about too many cooks, but another viral shortish film. 30 minutes is still technically short. One that I like a lot better. <laughs> Kung Fury. This was a Kickstarter. It was a, uh, I believe it was a Swedish film company that uh, did this. Uh, directed by and written by David Sandberg, who also starred in it. And it takes place in Miami, 1985. And he's a martial artist. Uh, and he's trying to take out Hitler going back in time. And I do not cannot do it justice by the short synopsis. No, there's um, no, there's no short synopsis. You have to watch it. It's basically a, a homage to uh, '80s action movies, which we just talked about. I mean, yeah, it, it's it. I mean, there's references to. I mean, little subtle things like like the arcade machine, you know, kind of transforming like the the RoboCop, whatever the the the, the big one. Um, the uh, just the fact that. Just the way he acts, like around the women, the the he's, the, the cars. His voice, he talks like this. He's all gruff. He's all too serious. The neon uh, mixed with the grit is very much an aesthetic. That all I the like. neon, and that's oh, that's, yeah. that's so eighties. But the, the the neon lights mixed with the gritty subculture. Um, you've got all the guys walking around with the boom boxes, but they've got their toting Uzis as well. And it's not like they're protecting anything. They're just dudes walking around the city with boom boxes and Uzis. It's very over the top. You know, it's over the top within the first uh, about twenty seconds, a cop pulls up the three guys carrying you know, automatic weapons and say, hey, you got a permit for those? Yeah. And he goes, I got your permit right here. And he flip kicks with his board, the, the police car up in the air, and they shoot it and explode. He's like, okay, this is something way out there. Right. This is way over the top. So they get the sensibilities right for the first part. I mean, they even have the little introduction, introduction like Miami Vice, mm-hmm. uh, after, after the uh, prologue where he takes on the spoilers, the robot arcade machine. Um, and then they do, I, I lost it for the intro. I especially lost it when they did the segue. The second time they showed the, the dolphin on its, on its flippers going backwards. And forth. Oh, I yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. lost it. <laughs> I don't know where they found this stock footage from or if they just watched old Miami Vice episodes. They might have just pulled it from that right. or something. But it was so, uh, some of this was so on point that like it, it wasn't like trying to be 80s. It was 80s. It got it that on the mark. Especially uh, the soundtrack is incredible. Yes. Like the soundtrack is actually like, it's not. It's actually really good. Okay. Besides being totally '80s, like synthesizers up the wazoo. It's almost totally synthesized. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's something I would listen to on my uh, on my own. Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Keep going. Um, so yeah, you have. He's a cop who he was struck by lightning and bitten by a king cobra. Um, there's cool little things in the video, like the tracking goes off in and out. So there's an uh, action. Like, there's an action sequence, and it's obviously an action sequence that budget wise they probably couldn't have done exactly how they wanted. Or maybe so. maybe that was the intent, though. Maybe that was the intent, but it, 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 what I, whatever it was, it makes... It, it, I think to most people who are watching, they're going to think, oh, this is a clever way to get around budget constraints. So during like certain things, like the tracking goes out on it, like it would on a VCR tape, sure. which, is, which is funny. What I was going to say is, when I started it, there was... It, it just hits you so hard with so many 80s references. Everything. That I, I felt like I was... Converse shoes. I honestly felt like I was going to get fatigued by it within the first ten to, within the first ten minutes, but as the movie went on, I just you know I don't. It was fun. I liked it. I don't know how many times I'd go back to watch it. I don't know that there's really anything more than the skin deep what you get, but it was fun to watch. I, I think it was interesting that um, they they could have went 
totally just okay. This is straight eighties action, but they went over the top with stuff like you have uh, spoilers. Triceracop, I, you know. So like, so like you think they're gonna stay? Obviously, it's over the top when you're fighting a a robot arcade unit. So it's interesting. It's interesting they went in that direction where we want to do eighties, but we'll take it so over the top that you wouldn't even see this in the eighties movie. Well, but see, this is the thing to me. Okay, Triceracop was crazy and over top over the top, but all the other dinosaurs. Do you remember how huge dinosaurs were in the 80s? Like, to me, that was just more part of Were they of the... in a lot of movies, though, in the 80s? I don't know if they were in a lot of movies, but I'm just talking, like, the rampant popularity of dinosaurs and stuff like that. Even before and, Jurassic Park. Yeah, even before Jurassic Park. Um, I just felt like that was also kind of a nod to things that were huge back back then. This raised $630,000, and I think the goal was if it hit a million, it would have been feature length or something. Like, they would have went for, like, a 90-minute one. Oh were. really? Yeah. So, but they they hit. I think originally they they, they hit a few of their goals. Um, so there's a few anachronistic things that bothered me just from a since I'm, I write you know so like the power glove is not mid eighties obviously no and there, there, there then there was a Viagra joke by the over the top cliche uh, police chief yelling at Kung Fury um, that Viagra in eighty five yeah. Uh, they could have went in a different direction than that joke. Other than that, though, like, like I said, it, it was very entertaining. Um, the hacker was great. The hacker man. The, the hacker Did you man. recognize all the computers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was like a Vic 20 or something was one of them? There was a lot there was like of a, shit. Was there a Sinclair there? There was a Sinclair. Was a Sinclair? Yes. Uh, yeah, and just all the, all, all like the, the, the like graph, uh, neon, like grids. I love computer. that part And that's too. totally 80s. Yes. I think it goes back to Tron. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was good. Uh, the, the, the gruff voice of Kung Fury was good. The green, it's, it's a shot mostly green screen. Probably like ninety five percent green screen. But he even says the director and the guy who stars as Kung Fury says that the majority of the film is green screen. So great job. The other cool part about this, uh, like I said, the soundtrack's amazing. I think some are actually songs are out in the eighties, but whoever did the synthesized soundtrack, I got to look it up. It was incredible. Um, but uh, I was going to say, if you watch this, it's actually I think better not to watch it in HD. This was shot in a way that they did something I think to soften it. To sort of soften the look, to sort of pull off that sort of um, even below standard definition '80s VHS. Go on YouTube and if you watch it before, don't watch it in, in 780p. Watch it in 480 or even 360. It looks better because I think that's the way it was intended to look like this was, you know, produced in the '80s and put on a VHS tape. So you have a uh, Thor showing up, uh, not the Thor from Avengers, but you know the Thor, you know, God of Thunder, and you have Viking babes. And you have Hitler, and it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, don't take it too seriously. This guy's very talented. Um, I want to see what he does uh, next. Uh, if it's if it's a sequel to this, or or he does something else, you know. Good job, great job. Any any, any last words on Kung Fury? I was trying to look up who did the, uh, the uh, soundtrack. Oh, the seven inch. Yep, it's it, it is people. Uh, so the seven inch record pressed on shiny red vinyl. Uh, that's coming out includes the Hoff Spectacular tune as well as songs by Mitch Murder and Highway Superstar. So it's definitely people that I would have expected to do this soundtrack. So they're all newer. Uh, yeah, a that's lot of them are newer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, speaking of the Hoff, um, he does the the uh, closing credit song, and it's actually it's actually an outstanding song. No, it's, it's pretty damn good. Uh, I, I know people get on Hasselhoff for singing. He actually has a pretty decent singing voice. If not, if not I, good. I loved that. And uh, that it's song. called Survivor. And it's gotten, I think, more views than than the uh, yeah. It's got a million. It's got thirteen million views at this point. And True Survivor. That's that's. And I want to put it on my iPod and, and rock it at the gym. I swear to God, the song is, is the song like, again. Like with with like with the uh, the soundtrack, the song doesn't sound like it was made to sound like the eighties. It sounds like an eighties song. I don't know how the what what the producer did to pull it off, but 
it it doesn't try too hard to sound eighties. It just sounds eighties. I'm guessing with, it would with, be with the with the with the drum machines and the synths, you know, and Hasselhoff rock, rocking it in front of a Lamborghini <laughs> in, in in the video. I'm guessing it would probably be I, it, whoever produced it would probably be someone on the soundtrack, and Mitch Murder can hit that stuff pitch perfect. So, well, go go check out Kung Fury. It, it, it's this stuff. Uh, I'm glad that there's Kickstarter and YouTube for the stuff to come out because obviously you wouldn't see this on TV or in a movie theater. Dude, look at this. I I mean, I totally need to own that. Look at the cover on that. That that is wow. Yeah, that's yeah. like the, the that's like the the painted eighties posters like the Last Dragon would do or Big Trouble in China that I wish they came back with. I am you know, buying that. You're gonna buy that? Yeah, yeah. That, that's gonna be in, on my shelves. Well, you know, what you're not buying a ticket to see Tron Three. No, I'm not. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> wow, that was the worst, that was meanest possible way that you was could a, segue yeah. in. Um, yeah, so, I'm not shocked at this, by the no, way. No, I'm not shocked either. But, I mean, this is kind of what people think happened. So, Tron 3 is not happening. Sad. Um, came out the, the sequel came out already almost... It was three and a half years ago it came out, right? Yeah, but they did have people on board. They were still debating it. But what people think happened was is that... I, I, I can't prove this, but it would make sense to me because Disney is going to play things fucking safe. It's why it took them so long to come out with a Tron sequel in the first place. Um, although that kind of counteracts your argument. That doesn't mean there won't be another Tron sequel in 15 years because, good lord, it took them By the way, it was 30 four, years. It was four and a half years. It came out December 2010. Okay. Holy shit. So, um, Tomorrowland comes out. Live action movie that, uh, that, that Disney wants to do. And apparently it flops horribly. Disney has always been kind of weird about live action movies and doing them. They've always been very cautious around them. And I think a good portion of why they may have, even if it was only in the initial discussion phases, and no, it doesn't surprise me either, but I think they may have looked at what was going on with Tomorrowland and said, nope, not worth it. Which is weird, just because Tomorrowland is based upon a part of Disney that not many people are aware of that's, versus Tron. That's kind you know. of my problem with that reasoning, is that Tron is an established brand that at least people yeah. like. What do you think happens when... I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean was a one-time thing, guys. Uh, Haunted Mansion did not do well, okay? And and, and, and basing, basing a... I mean, people do know Tomorrowland. It's where Space Mountain and shit is, but, like, but basing Pirates it on a, part of a, a, a park is not... You can't make a movie out of but that. But Pirates of the Caribbean was sold on Johnny Depp's great performance. Like, yes. that was... When when I went and saw and I saw all three in the movie theater, even though I think I fell asleep during the third one, because it was saw, so long. I saw the first uh, three in the theater. Um, now they're doing a the fifth one already. I didn't see the fourth one, but Johnny Depp's performance was uh, iconic. I'd say for that first one, it kind of falls apart as it goes on, but that was a, just a good movie. It had nothing. The good news is it had nothing to do with the ride so much that you can make any story you wanted to, which is why it, it, it worked. That's that's the way you can base a movie off a of ride if you say, okay, well we're just using the name and the general idea of them being pirates and go off and do whatever you want. Well, that's what they were you trying know? to do with Tomorrowland. I think the problem was they promised something they couldn't deliver, which was if you if you looked at all the concept art for it, it was gorgeous. Well, I hate to say, but you have you have middle aged George Clooney just. I don't want to see him in an action role. I don't think kids want to either. You know what I mean? So it's like I don't know who that's appealing to at that point. Well, there's a kid. Well, there's a kid main character as well. Yeah, but I mean, George Clooney is, is not known for doing these type of movies. He does usually these sure. more independent, artsy stuff or stuff on his own. So it just wasn't a good fit. When I when I first heard about, it, I was I was like surprised when I saw the trailer. Like George Clooney's going to be in this this genre flick. It, it just didn't fix. I didn't, I don't remember George Clooney being in a genre flick for like five years at least. I can't even think of one right. that he's been in. You know what I mean? 
He does uh, stuff like, oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah, that's usually what he does, or Monuments Man. It doesn't make any money. That much. So, so the, but, here, but this is why they were shaking. Going back to Tron. Going back to Tron, um, it only grossed $400 million worldwide, and the budget was $170 million. Right. So the good rule of thumb is that the uh, pr- production budget, um, you factor in at least half of that for marketing. Mm-hmm. At least. So we're talking $250, $300 million. And so for it to make that back, you got to do easily... Um, you got to do easily two to two and a half times your budget to make back the, break even in, at the box office. They didn't do that. Now, obviously, they probably made their money back through merchandising. I think they had the cartoon around that time came out with a lot of I think Elijah Wood voiced it or something, if I remember correctly. So it just seemed like probably too big of a risk for them to do. And plus, it's almost five years removed from the last. It's going to be it would be more than five years before this movie comes out. That's a long time for a sequel. And I hate to say it, no Jeff Bridges, which. Would upset me. No, that would uh, upset probably. me hugely. So, like I said, I'm not shocked if a, if a sequel doesn't come within three years. I get kind of iffy. Like with the Matrix sequels, it's like, all right, let's take them now to do it, shoot it back to back. I think once you get too far removed, um, and yes. it happens, you kind of lose that artistic sort of spark. And it happened a little bit with Back to the Future two and three. Not that they're bad movies, but they were four years removed. It's like. Get going with start at least writing this stupid thing within a, within a year or two, and let's get back on track. Now, I yeah, don't care if it takes new director, but five years is a long time to wait between a, a sequel. Well, a sequel that you're where you're going to rely on the same actors reprising the same roles and looking roughly the same as they did, which they probably would. I mean, these aren't old people, but well, no, what I'm saying is like, I mean, they were able to do a sequel to Tron 30 years after the fact because they were doing a whole generational switch with sure. the story. Um, as time goes on, that gets harder to do a direct sequel. And, then, and honestly, I don't think Garrett Headland. I mean, he was he was he did fine it, but I don't see him carrying a movie by himself as like the, the lead in it. Uh, for for the and by the way, he was he was one of the um, finalists to be Captain America. I remember originally, and he was my personal choice at the time. Oh, this guy looks like Captain America. He could have done it, uh, but I said Chris Evans got the role. That's an aside. Um, oh, we won't, we won't be able to see Cillian Murphy as the villain. He, he that little people always forget he had the cameo in, in the in the sequel. Oh yeah, that's as, right. As he he like took over the corporation. I think he was the son or whatever. Yeah, God, that would have been good. That would have been awesome. Now well, I'm just pissed. Now you're pissed at it, right? Now I'm just pissed because I love because he right. was the best part of that. And, and I love Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde would probably be able to carry the movie better as a lead than Hedlund. Um, you think so? Yes, I don't. I, think th- so. I, I don't think she's her box office uh, for her movies hasn't been the best. I think overall, I, I Cowboys and Aliens did terribly in that movie was because just... it was called fucking Cowboys and Aliens. Well, I, I mean, I know it's based on what a comic, but whatever. So uh, sorry, no Tron for you. Bah. Uh, so this was uh, this is our, our retro game topic du jour. This is something that was uh, emailed to me by uh, we'll just call him Tom, and th- and I guess he wanted to do an experiment, and I'll just read what he said. <laughs> um, Pat and that other guy, that's Ian. I've watched your YouTube channel for some time now, and I've always felt you exaggerate how in quotes resellers can drive up prices, which I always claim that if you buy more of a certain game, the price artificially goes up because people bidding it can't get it. It creates a psychology of the game being worth more than it is. That's what he's referring to. There are often tens of thousands of copies of almost all older games. That's exaggerating, but okay. So I did an experiment on eBay. With no intent of really making money, I put some thought into what game I was going to quote-unquote drive, drive up the price. After some time, I committed to a game and started buying them up. This has been going on for over a year now, and I will say I was able to get the, quote, average price from around 3 to $4 to around $25, give or take. And we can confirm this via uh, price charting. Yep. Um, this, and the game he chose was Rampart for Game Boy. Not the Game Boy Color version, but the Black regular line. gray uh, Rampart. So 
To be honest, I'm, I'm spittle shocked that in such a short time I was able to make such a difference. I don't own hundreds of copies. <clears throat> and I have, I have not had to take a loan out to do this. With some effort and a few dollars, it would seem if you pick the right game, anyone can do this, which I always maintained. I've left buying slash selling this game for a while, expecting it to go back down. But nonetheless, it seems to have found its new price of around 25 I was thinking selling off all the copies I have for 4 to $6 each to bring the price back down. What are your thoughts? Please don't use my real name. If you do, just say Tom. Thanks. Keep the videos coming. I'm not shocked. And the reason this no. affects me is because... <clears throat> I bought Rampart during this time, and I, I wasn't keeping close track. But I did keep. It did take me a couple of weeks to see this, uh, to, for me to get the game because I didn't want to pay a buy it now. And I did remember losing an auction or two around. I want to say it was like summer of last year. It was when I think I bought it because I had the Game Boy Color version, but I didn't realize there was a gray one. I wanted the original version, so I ended up getting it for like I think eight or nine dollars, something like that. But no, if you go look at price charting, you go look on eBay, it'll say like the going rate right now for this game was $25. Why the hell is $25 the going rate for Rampart on Game Boy? Especially if it started at 4 to 6. You know, who wants the game? Right. No one does except for one guy who created an artificial demand right. for it. And what ha- I mean, you know, the thing is he he mentions um and By the way, he sent a picture confirming it was like 20 Game Boy yeah. Ramparts he had. So, you know, Tom says that um he, uh, you know, he didn't think it was possible because there's tens of thousands of copies, even if that, that number is wrong. What it is, is if you have enough copies of a game, and you have a stock of them, and you put them on eBay, eBay is a kind of a narrow window. There's only so many copies of something up on eBay at any given time. So if you start charging incrementally more and more, it should not be very hard to get people to pay what you you want them to pay for that game. Plus, eBay will recommend you a price to, to yes. put out for buy now. They didn't do that five, six years ago. Once they started doing that, you automatically, to eBay's benefit, because the higher games sell for, the more money they make, you set then higher and higher basement prices on buy it now. Yeah, they have it, trending prices. Trending with- prices. Which means that's what they're selling at. So that's how, oh, if that's trending at 25, I'll put it at 25. 28. Or even higher. So, if you go on price chart, um, this game was worth in early 2013, according to price charts, the average uh, $3.30 loose in January. Yeah, uh, I bu- it's a black and white version of, of Rampart, Rampart which is a game that no one wants. No one loves the game except for me and a few other people. I like it, but I mean, it, it rises a little bit and then it really jumps up starting in the summer when I got mine. Mm-hmm. So it goes from uh, March 560. And then when I bought it, it goes up to about 799, July 8, 850. Then it shoots to 13. By October, it's at eighteen ninety. Goes down slightly for November eighteen. Shoots to twenty five in December. So the game price increased. What percentage is that? Eight hundred percent from January to December. It went up eight hundred percent from three to twenty five in a year. Less than a year. Yes, less, less, less. And then it stayed at twenty five. <laughs> at least on price chart from December to June, which means that either one or two copies were. Bought at the trending price, or no one's, or everyone's listed them at that high price, and no one's bought them. But it doesn't matter because for trending for eBay doesn't take account when a game doesn't sell; it only takes account the, the price it sold at. So these sellers that see this, oh, trending price for twenty five, I'm not listing at five bucks, which is what it probably should be worth. They're going to keep it at twenty five forever, for years maybe, and they're going to have it in the inventory. So the people that want it will have to then go to a convention, and someone will say, oh, it's going for twenty five on eBay. I'll give you for twenty. And that's how this happens. And, I, and I've gone to arguments with people on forums and journalists about this, about this stuff happens. I'm not saying this one case 
makes it all true, but it doesn't go against my argument. Yeah, it definitely provides a fucking compelling argument. A compelling argument, and uh, these trending prices doesn't help. Obviously, all the buy it nows don't help, and uh, websites like price charting don't help. Yeah, no. Because when, when price guides like Beckett came out for hockey cards and baseball cards, it created a bubble in terms of people looking at the price guide for everything, price guide, and never taking into account that they could sell for less than that, or that price may not be reflective of future sales or what they could get. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't make any sense. No. So, I really hope that Tom, if that's his real name, um, figures out a way to reverse this process. He says he hasn't been able to see it reversed yet. He says he has. He says he hasn't done this yet. He said he stopped selling, hoping for it to go back down, which did doesn't because he of reasons st- that we stopped buying. We've yeah. Well, right now I have left buying slash selling. So he he doesn't sell or buy them right now. So he's he's. So, for reasons we said, that's not going to bring the price back down. Now, he's saying he will try to sell the remaining copies he has for 4 to $6 each to see if he can bring the price back down. The only way he do that he does a duck auction and puts them all for once, but that doesn't mean that some asshole is not going to ball buy them out and then try and then to put, them put them try to flip them for 25 Right now on eBay, one's at $22 from the Netherlands, where it says it says trending at $25.99, and then some other guy has it at $50. A game that I bought for eight dollars last summer. A game that used to average three dollars uh, a year and a, a half ago. A game that we've always sold for five. Don't say that. And they're going to buy it out. So, yeah, uh, I, uh, it's funny that Tom tried to prove me wrong by doing this and, and then... did this year experiment. So, no, Pat, I think you were right. <laughs> it is pretty easy to do this. And one sold for twenty-two. One bought one at forty, thinking this game is rare. When a guy is sitting on twenty of them, so there's not much you can do about it besides know if this exists and be careful when you look at these prices on price charge or the quote-unquote trending price and realize that it could be bullshit. Mm-hmm. Ian! So... Nintendo's doing something that's kind of kind of nifty. It's... it's Okay, so Nintendo is doing something that's really unique for Nintendo, um, and I hope to see more of this. Uh, Nintendo is doing an indie bundle. Now, Humble Bundle is a website and a program, I guess you could call it, that's been going on for uh, a number of years now. And it is... So what happens is they put a bunch of games up, and you get to pay what you want to get these games. And then they start getting an average price for these games. And then they post that average price, and they add a couple more games. And if you pay more than the average price, you'll get additional games. And then, you know, as the week goes on, they may add more and more and more. And, it, you know, it, to people who had already paid above the average price, uh, I believe they still get those games as, as well. Um, this has been done a ton. Uh, it's been done, um, it, but it's mostly PC games, uh, Steam stuff like that. It's it's it, it's it's been largely PC games. Um, I think companies like Sony and whatnot have tried to you know cash in on this sort of idea by doing uh, their frequent flash sales, where they you know drop games to ninety nine cents or you know five bucks. But for Nintendo to do this is pretty huge because they've never really done anything like this and if you have any experience within Nintendo's uh, eShops things are slow to go on sale things generally stay at the same price and this Nintendo bundle is giving away an absolute insane what is it like 10 games? number of games for basically um, they have Runner 2 10 bucks Runner 2 is a a, that's a big one Guacamelee is big 
Whoa, Dave is fantastic and is gaining steam. It's a single-screen uh, arcade uh, arcade game. Uh, Mighty Switch Force is an old game that most people probably have, but it's actually the one-way-forward game I really like. Uh, it's got Stealth Inc., SteamWorld Dig, which was, received uh, critical acclaim uh, and is a lot of fun. The Fall, the first Ali Ali, which I was addicted to for a long time. Uh, the Moon Chronicles Episode 1, which is supposed to be a fantastic remake of uh, the original DS game Moon. Uh, Sports Ball, Gunman Clive, which is excellent. And then Runner, which is going to cost you 15 bucks alone if you don't buy it within the bundle. So basically how this works, I'm, I've never done this before, is so the three main games, Guacamelee Super Turbo Championship Edition, which is a great name, Woe Dave and Mighty Switch Force, you can get that for any amount. So that, yes, you but can pay you do, any amount. But this. if you do the average, which I guess they clock the average as it goes, at this point it's $9.21, you get the additional six games in the bottom, including Gunman Clive, Bit Trip, uh, Runner 2. And then the top corner is if you just pay ten dollars more, you'll period, get them all. You get all of this, so that, so that can incentivize people to say, "Oh, it's only eighty cents more. I get two more games. I can just do that." And it's which it's, is a great idea. It's crazy because Runner and Steam World Dig alone uh, are going to cost you well over ten bucks. I mean, I, I might do this. Is, is this Wii or 3DS or both? Uh, it's both Wii and 3DS. So, so yeah, they send you codes for both. Basically, no. Some of these games are only going to be 3DS. It says at the bottom, like Mighty Switch. But I mean, Force is it's only... one account though. Then they'll send me. Oh yeah. One, based upon my account, which is linked up, I sign into my 3DS. I'll have the 3DS ones and the Wii U. I'll have the Wii U ones. Okay, that's a great deal. This isn't an advertisement uh, uh, for it, but you know, that's no, that's a fantastic it's a deal. Fantastic deal. I should probably then mention that um, I'm um, I might be going in the process of being a Nintendo ambassador just so that's on the table. But this is a great deal. I'm not I'm not being paid to promote this. No, this it, is fantastic. It's a great deal, but what, what what's more important to me is to see Nintendo try these new things. Uh, Nintendo would have never given away this many games before. These are independent games. So, these are not Nintendo games, but these are games on Nintendo's shop. I, Nintendo would have never done this. So what what happens here? Do they pay out uh, a proportional amount to the, to the uh, to the publishers of these games, or you know, like, how, how does this work? From what do- I, am, I don't know how indie bundle works, but I know, for instance, like when uh, PSN games go on sale, uh, or you get them free with PS Plus, the developers still get money. Uh, so it's not like the developers of these games are going to go hungry because they're giving these things away for free. I think it's looked at as a way to generate. Um, I'm sure someone knows the history and can correct me, but I think it's looked at as a way to generate. Uh, Goodwill? Goodwill, yeah. Which it is. I mean, it's, yeah. it's $115 worth of games Any, for 10 bucks. Anyone who jumps into this, is, is do, anyone who does an indie bundle, is doing it to generate goodwill and to get eyes on them. So not only do these independent developers look good, because now you can get Guacamelee, a really good $15 game for uh, pennies, um, but it looks good for Nintendo because Nintendo's stepping outside their little box and trying something new. So, And you can even choose how your, uh, your payments go in between the developer's charity or the humble tip jar. That's right. So maybe Nintendo's not getting that much of this. So maybe maybe I, Nintendo's probably not getting any of this. Probably just, this is a good promotion. This is great because I have no games on my 3DS, so I will I will do this. Uh, uh, they've they've sold sixty seven thousand almost. Wow, sixty seven thousand bundles. Actually, it's not like I have Ali Ali and Ali Ali two on everything except for 3DS. So I might do this as well. So I can get cool. We, we we can play on the plane trip to too many games. We can play some multiplayer. That's a uh, single player. But well, well, one of these has to be multiplayer. <laughs> It's Guacamelee Super Turtle Champion Edition. That's not <laughs> that is multiplayer, but that is uh, Wii only. Wii U only. Oh, we'll bring the Wii it's U a Metroidvania. All right, let's check this out. This is the Humble Nindy Bundle. It's time for Q and A on the CU podcast. This is from at Squirrel Whisperer. Whisperer. That's a good name. Uh, underscore chip. Underscore chip. This is two parts. Chip chip. 
<laughs> Sometimes, when I'm playing a game, I experience a sense of guilt for not doing something else with my time. Have you ever felt the same? Thoughts on the idea that playing games is a waste of time? That, this, okay, well, well that's, a, that's kind of a metaphysical question. Um, it depends on how you look at it, too. It depends on what, you, what your goal, like, what is your objective for playing the game? Yeah. If it's like an escape, like watching a TV show, I mean, hell, I watched Daredevil in like three nights, four hours each. I could have played a game instead of doing that. Um, and here's the thing. If you feel guilty about playing the game, you probably shouldn't be playing it. Yeah. Like, if you, if you honestly should be doing something else, whether it's uh, work, spending time with your family, if you put off going to... Uh, I, I, if, if you put off going to like a, a, a public function instead of playing games, then yeah, you shouldn't be playing it I, at that point. I have to look at this in a smaller way. I'm not. Necess- I mean, that could have been what this person's asking, but um, you know, waste of time can be. I mean, you can waste time any numbers of ways. If you have a m- multiple hobbies, um, gaming can take up a lot of time, especially modern games, uh, Japanese RPGs, the the American RPGs. You know, um, even first person competitive shooters with ink, uh, third person shooters with ink. See, I never feel like when I'm playing a game, it's a waste of time because I try to budget my time properly. It's hard to do with work, but I try. My when I feel guilty for playing a game, it's because I look at a stack of comic books. I look at my instruments. I look at things like that and I go, there are other things that I need to tackle. There's other ways that I could be spending my leisure time and I'm constantly focusing on this. That opens up into an even bigger discussion about fucking consumerism and stuff like that. Like, do I need this much shit? If I feel guilty for playing a game because I'm not, yeah. If I feel guilty for playing a game because I'm not reading the comic books that I have or something or or listening to the records that I have, then that's a problem of acquisition. Um, you might also be asking about a waste of time versus doing something, I guess, healthier overall with your life than playing video games. Sure. In the general sense. And, I mean, I hey, that comes sure. down to, I hate to say it, I, I mean, I'm playing games all this when I was a teenager or early 20s. That's just how I am when I get older. I'm, I'm doing more things that divide my time up equally. That's just how it is. You have to just, you have to just define what's important to you in your life. <laughs> it's, what is more valuable to you? Is it the entertainment of playing a video game versus something else? And that's what it comes down to. Just make sure you're playing the game for the right reason, not to sort of, uh, you know, bury yourself into a hole and to avoid real life. Yeah, I don't think any leisure activity is a waste of time as long as you're not letting your leisure activities overtake everything else. And that's what it really comes down to. At Mr. Jared Roberts, is dumpster diving okay slash ethical or just trashy? Ha ha, get it, trashy. (laughs) Funny. I really don't have a problem with dumpster diving. If you're talking about in the back of GameStops when they throw out uh, video game displays or cases for some reason, go for it. Have a ball. If you're talking corporate dumpster diving, yeah, I mean, behind businesses, especially stuff where you can get something really useful, do it. Um, as far as personal information, those businesses oh. should be shredding all that stuff, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Now, should you be rooting through people's trash cans? No. No. That that is that is not good, but that is different than jumping behind, you know, a GameStop or uh, a, a Target, I guess, to see what's what's back there. Now, would I ever do it? No, I'm a little squeamish on that whole notion. But squeamish, you want to find a kid at Chris Manual in a dumpster somewhere? Uh, not next to a trout. <laughs> to a trout <laughs> or whatever. It's a video game store and the sushi place. <laughs> yeah, um, next to each other. The the the, the fish bone comb. Um, but yeah. Fish bone comb. 
<laughs> that's like some of my Tom and Jerry that's cartoon. What, well, I've been watching a lot of Tom and Jerry lately. Who watch? Who who really just says, you know, what? I've been watching a lot of Tom and Jerry lately. Like that's the thing that I have. How not, do you, how does that become a thing? Or you know, what? I'm gonna really just watch a lot of Tom and Jerry uh, because I get home from work at about quarter to nine. I sit down, I flip on my TV, uh, I go to do something, and I go, oh. We still have Boomerang on the TV, and oh, Tom and Jerry is playing from I, 9 to 10. Tom and Jerry is my favorite fucking cartoon. I watched the first few years before they became friends, when they're just diabolical and really violent. Early, early Chuck Jones. And, the 50s and yeah, 60s. Stuff was, early was, 60s. It was great. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there are definitely shit eras in Tom and Jerry, but the good eras of Tom and Jerry, best cartoon ever. How can they be friends? They're, they hate each other. There's a very complex relationship between so, Tom and Jerry. No, it is. Sure, sure. Okay. It is. Write a term paper on it. <laughs> fucking Christ. Shut up. I've been watching a lot of Tom and Jerry recently. Oh, I haven't. David, um, uh, <laughs> David, this, qu- this question's from David. David, Dave Van Dam Net. That's a great name. I like that. Van Dam Net. Uh, Steam Games, Steam is now offering refunds. Could this cause publishers to stop pushing buggy stuff out since they could lose money? Is is there like a certain time period to return the game? Like you have like ten days or thirty days to return a digital download? I'm not sure, but since a lot of these require you to be, I believe, logged into Steam, I think that's how it works. Oh yeah, then, if you I mean, they can play. they can tell if it's if it's deleted or not. Um, I think it's a great idea, actually. Um, and it's one that I think some places have it's been needed for quite some time because of exactly what he says. When there is no recourse for these people putting out unfinished games, because you can't just go back to GameStop and return a new game for your money back. They won't do that. Um, This way, especially through Steam, if you buy a game and it sucks, like, say, Assassin's Creed, you can be like, no, don't want it. And yes, it really will, I think it will put us... a clamp on these developers oh, yeah. and be like, no, you gotta start putting out shit if, that's playable because otherwise I'm gonna return it within a week and I'll wait till if, six months down the line when it's basically free and I'll buy it after it's patched. If you could have done that with the last Assassin's Creed and say say 30% said, fuck this, I'm returning this, that would have put a huge dent in Ubisoft's business. They would have probably changed my mind. Oh, maybe we can wait to put these out yeah. instead of forcing them out. Just imagine if this was in place when SimCity uh, came out, the most recent SimCity. Uh, uh, what is it, 6 or whatever it was? Or? They didn't give it a, n- a number, but I mean, I do know that they did allow for some refunds, I believe, but they made it a hassle. But that game was so universally trashed and loathed because of its problems. Sure. They would have eaten shit on that if people were allowed to return it. Has there been a SimCity since then? That was already, what, three years ago it came out? Uh, no, there hasn't. I mean, everyone says just play SimCity 4. Um, this is at uh, banana bread. I love that <laughs> banana bread. We've got a lot of good names That's today. A good game. Hey, banana good bread. Thoughts on games being expensive because they're good versus being rare. Um, obviously we're talking about retro games. I, I think it's interesting that games can get expensive because they're just really popular and good and common, like a Contra, a Super Mario Three. Everyone wants them because they're excellent games. Uh, that's fine. We're talking. We're talking like the higher echelon of games. Um, usually, most of the time, the we're not talking like the games that are thousands of dollars. We're talking the games that are worth hundreds. Usually, they are games that are good. Uh, you know, the ones on Sega CD, uh, Sega Saturn, working design games, Snatcher games that are not just hard to find; they're actually good. Because there are games that are hard to find in those systems that aren't worth nearly as much. I'd say there's about an equal amount. But you yeah. think so? Yes. I would say, okay. depending on the system you're collecting for, there's an equal amount of crap to good that is just as expensive. Okay, I think okay, I think it depends on the system then. Um, but um, once you get to the, once you get over, let's say over, once you get over like five hundred dollars, just say you get to that weird point though, where the the game uh, doesn't matter at all in terms of how fun it is, it's just then how rare it is. Right. It gets to that weird point where okay, yeah, Magical Chase, it's a great game, 
would it be worth thousands if it wasn't as fun? Probably. It probably still got got pumped up. Yeah, it would have it would have been pumped up eventually. Um, my take on this question is like, I I I think I mean I'm talking lower echelon here. Um, I mean games that are rare, are obviously rare, they're going to be expensive. Um, but games being expensive because they're good, I, I tend to think that this is kind of like some of the flack that I get in store when someone's like, "Oh, I can't believe X game is blah blah blah." Why is that? Well, because collecting has become a popular hobby, and there are games that are good that everyone wants. And if people buy up all those games that everyone wants because they're fun and they're popular, there are going to be less of those for people to buy. The perfect example is Contra, which used to be like a $10 game and is now a $30 game, well, and, and that's just what it is. But those aren't being bought by collectors mostly, those are being bought to play. That's what oh, I'm not, I'm not talking collecting, I'm just talking people... Well, people well you get, say game collecting. No, people get into collecting buying... The, I, I, the I, reason Super Mario 3 is a $15 game and not a $3 game is because the people are buying it to play it. Yes, well, that's yes. I, I I'm just using the term collecting wrong. Super Mario Three, there's there was just as many as those as as uh, as RBI Baseball and Silent Service and yeah. bases loaded. It's just that people will keep those and not throw them back out. Yeah, there's a reason store. why I have like at one point in time we had like 42 Silent Services between the two stores. Who bought that when we were kids? I guess like 40 year old guys that love the. Everyone, everyone fucking had it too. Like I, I, I can't think of I many think, friends' collections where that wasn't in there somewhere. It must have come I, out bombed or something. And well, didn't bomb. They sold a well, ton of them. Well, no. What I'm guessing is they produced a shitload of them and they just they they sat there until they ended up in bargain bins and people snatched them out of bargain. You think bins. that's what it was? They were like ten dollar games yeah. at, at Toys R Us. Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the most common games. Oh yeah, Silent Service <laughs> definitely. Easily. But um, but yeah, but that's what that's what it comes down to is that. I think it's fine. I have no problem with a game being expensive if it's sought after, like a Contra. That, that to me, is the true supply and demand when yes. everyone wants to buy it to play it. Like you said, you, you get a Contra traded and it won't stay in the store for more than a day. No, it, it won't. I'll give someone 20 in credit for it. It's not. It's going to be gone in a day at 30 to 35. Uh, okay, this is from that final stage show. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with Kevin Owens now after beating John Cena at Elimination Chamber? Wrestling talk. So, that was... Huge. Were you shocked? Jim, um, Jim Ross predicted it. Um, I, I, I went in thinking that Owens was going to win. Here's my problem: it was a good match because of the Owens victory, and there were some great spots, all basically on Owens. Um, when he, when Cena po- uh, came out of the pop-up powerbomb the first time, I, uh, I was uncertain. It was long. It was a very. It felt like a very long match, and basically, for Owens to beat Cena, first match in WWE, Cena had to. But Cena kicked out of every single thing Owens threw at him. Well, you expect that. Yeah, but I mean, dude, you really have to see the match. Like, it's just, it's exhausting. I heard it was a great match. It was like a four star match. From I read, four star. Uh, it was a good match. Four star, maybe three point five four star. It, it, it's it's good because Owen wins, and there was a lot of good spots. It's good to see younger talent coming in and in their first WWE match, watching them have I, enough faith in them to go over Cena. I think that's. I think I think it was a. I hate to say it is a bad decision. If you're going to do that, you should have done it with Bray Wyatt last year, a guy that was around for six seven months to do it with a guy in his first match. That I hate to say it, a lot of a lot of these people. Some are watching NXT, but. The casual people watching on TV aren't. They're like, who's this guy? He shows up on Raw twice, has a match, and beats the face of the company. Uh, um, you know why? It's because uh, Elimination Chamber was a network-only uh, pay-per-view. The people who have the network are watching NXT. 
All right. I just think it's weird that they don't have Rusev win. I, I wanted Rusev to win at WrestleMania. I thought it would have been great if Rusev won. I would have liked that, too. Um, and then, yeah, Bray Wyatt. Now, Bray Wyatt's now a joke, almost. He, I don't think he has a feud going on. He doesn't. I think he lost to uh, Ryback. I, don't, I haven't watched in a while, but... It's weird to do that with the guy who's a champion of NXT because that means you're going to now bring him up to the main roster and have him drop the belt or you're going to combine it. It's just a weird move. I'm not saying it's it's obviously good to give him the rub, but that rub could have been given to someone else. And it's not like Cena's going to job again anytime uh, soon to someone cleanly like that. You know, it's not going to be like he he's lost cleanly. To me. He's lost cleanly to maybe five or six guys in uh, fi- in uh, fifteen years. Well, the other thing is, is you know, I think they're looking at a lack of credible heels, and uh, it makes them credible, obviously. It, well, they're stuff. looking at a lack of credible heels, and here's a guy that they had demolished Sami Zayn twice, who's a fan favorite and arguably just as good of a wrestler as Kevin Owens, and they have him come up and they have him destroy Cena. They are building this guy to be the next monster because they need one. When but that when could have you, been Bray Wyatt. It could it have been. been and, Rusev was being built for a year to be that. He was undefeated. You know, Rusev could have continued to be that way, but Rusev is injured now. And now he's injured. Bray yeah. Wyatt. They. I will agree. I liked Bray Wyatt. They never gave Bray Wyatt a good program. They never gave him a good program. Well, they did, but he never beat Cena. He never. He never beat the guys who went up against except for like Jericho. It was the only guy he beat. So Not really, yeah. But I, I'm happy. I guess I'm just happy because, because first of all, uh, people would say, "Oh, you can't have monster heels." Sure, you can have monster heels. You can have, you can have, you can book him right. Wow. You can, Kevin Owens is a monster heel. The first one I've seen in forever. You, you can have guys like that. You can have guys like Lesnar that destroy people. And I'm you sorry, I think it. I think Owens makes a more convincing heel than Lesnar does. I don't, but okay, he's better on the mic. Yeah, but he, he Lesnar is a, a, a monster looking. Owens doesn't look like that guy. He, he doesn't look like the typical wrestler. He he has a he has a beer belly. You know, he doesn't have the, the chiseled abs. I'm not saying he can't wrestle, but he doesn't look like that. But they, people, I, were, but people are already talking about building to like. I hate to say it, they're always saying, "What if Owens is his big heel and Lesnar comes back as a face eventually? That could be like a huge match, or oh, yeah. that'd be amazing." You know, but ha- having a monster heel around, especially regularly, which Lesnar wasn't, gives you a lot more options, and plus it gives you a lot more unpredictability about, oh, maybe he will beat this guy cleanly, and not just, you know what I mean? Like maybe he will tear through people. That's one of the things I liked was when he won, and my buddy and I looked at each other. We were like, "Wow!" So what? What can't happen now? Sure. Um, you know, when I, when an NXT guy's first match on on a, on a WWE show is a victory over Cena clean. No, I mean, maybe that shows that Cena, oh, 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 well, Lesnar destroyed him on a pay-per-view. That was a big deal last year at SummerSlam. Well, so, it was funny because my friend and I were talking, we're like, we're getting ready for the match to end, and we're, we're at this point, like I said, I went in thinking that they were going to let Owens win, and then halfway through, I'm like, they're not going to let Owens win. And and my buddy goes, he's at the goddamn age where he needs to be putting over the new talent. And then three mm-hmm. minutes later, he did. So if Cena wants to keep doing that, I'll have more respect for Cena. At Geo Dude, thoughts on new gen NES in quotes uh, hard games like Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Lords of the Fallen. So my personal thoughts on these: so Dark Souls and you know Demon Souls, Dark Souls One and Two, Bloodborne, all roughly part of the same um, uh, series. Uh, these games for people who haven't played them, although they're really popular now, I, I feel like people would know them. They're extremely hard action games. Checkpoints are few and far between. Uh, you're always left with very minimal supplies of what you need. Um, and they definitely appeal to people uh, who want to kind of memorize patterns, remember where enemies are, where things are happening. You don't need memorization, especially in one like Bloodborne, which I hear has very good uh, battle mechanics. But um, these do feel a lot like 
say uh, Mega Man games. Just for they don't example. hold your hand. They absolutely one hundred percent do not hold your hand. You will get the you will get fucking lost really quickly if you. I mean, if uh, it's going to happen, that's part of the game. and That's part of what people enjoy. For me, I'm kind of at the point where that sort of thing doesn't really appeal to me. But I'm glad that there are games out there that don't hold people's hands. Um, especially with how well Bloodborne is supposed to be in terms of improvements over the previous Dark Souls games. Um, you've now got these games that, unlike, you know, just say any X, Y, or Z first-person shooter that gives you 15 checkpoints in a level, uh, you have to work for your progress in these games. But are they going to be for everyone? No, absolutely not. Not much to add. <laughs> I really don't. I haven't played any of those. <laughs> uh, at Cerebus92, it's my own fault. It's my own fault. But how much responsibility should sellers have to educate novice or new retro collectors? Um, well, the part that you left out oh, there was... Oh, okay. The part that you left out was, uh, he goes on to say, um, I bought a Mario Paint and... Uh, didn't realize, realize I did, needed a mouse. Yeah, didn't realize I okay. needed the mouse. This goes back to what I said about being good resellers versus bad. A, a bad reseller may not tell them because they don't give a shit or may not know that these you know these things happen in these games or these accessories are required in these games. I, I, I can only say so... I mean, my examples, there's tons, but the, the ones that are most common are... It's up to... If you should have some idea of what you're doing, but a good reseller can smell... Can smell the customer that is getting back into it or might not know and is going to tell someone about these things. For instance, um, we do not even sell Mario Paint without the mouse. That's just... You you can't fucking buy Mario Paint from us unless we have the mouse with it. Um, If someone wants to buy a zapper, which happens every day, every day I go, do you know that that will not work on an HDTV? And every day they put it back, and I don't make $5. Um, whenever someone wants to buy Perfect Dark, or Donkey Kong 64, mm-hmm. or Majora's Mask, right. I make sure that they have the expansion pack. Explain to them what it is. If they don't know what it is, I show them where it is and one that has one. Then they go, oh yes or no, and then they don't buy it. Um, I think for some scummy resellers, you know, they just want to make the buck. It's not up to them. But to me... And, and, and yes, it's because I, I, I like to be ethical and good in my business, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. Part of it is pure anxiety. I don't need people coming back to me pissed off. I want everyone to have all the info they need right there so that when I make a sale, I know that they're leaving with what they want and they know what they need to do with it. Yeah, it just comes down to being a good seller and treating your customers correctly. Yeah. You are there to... When you when you work... I don't care if you have a, have a booth at a flea market or a table at a convention, you are there as a seller as, at least in some small way, an authority on what, in theory, you're selling. Again, going back to battery sellers are not an authority. They just want a quick buck and don't know what the hell they're doing. Or they could be they an authority, but they're, they, they don't give a shit. They might which know is all worse. The, yeah, it was, which is actually worse. Which I think is actually more often the case. I think that is, just from some of the stuff I've seen around here, that's more it. They just need to move the stock. They don't they care. They don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. If you ask for a zapper, they're going to sell you a zapper. If you need a gun con, they're going to sell you a gun con. They don't give a fuck if they know that by now you're probably working with an HDTV. They're going to sell it and not warn you. Um, I can't... I. I I honestly can't do that. It, it creates too much anxiety in me. <laughs> you don't want. Has that ever happened? Have you ever screwed up and someone came back? Yeah, I did once because someone was buying a bunch of like Nintendo games and they seemed like they knew, you know, they knew their stuff. And you know, 
it's happened a couple of times. They've always been cool about it. But, like, you know, when you're buying 10 Nintendo games from me and you're, like, throw a zapper on or something like that, and they call me up, the zapper's broken. It is? Oh, I'm sorry, I'll replace it. Come on back. And then as I'm giving him the other zapper, I go, shit. Do you have an HDTV? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that won't work. Oh, can I exchange these light gun games? Yes, you can. So, I mean, that's the end of it. But, yeah, it does. It, I, I slip from time to time, but it's never in a malicious way. You sure? Yes. <laughs> um, at regular Nintendo, Alan. Hey, Alan. On eBay, does the term, in quotes, untested pretty much mean a li- mis- <laughs> misleading way to say broken? LOL. Um, I have a rule of thumb for this. Uh, real quick. What's your rule of thumb? Look at what the seller is selling, and if they're selling a bunch of shit that's untested, they probably have a lot of stuff, and it's probably just literally untested. If it's one person selling a Virtual Boy, and it says untested, yeah. and they're not selling anything else, it's probably broken. If it's if they have all the um, ways to hook up a system, and it says untested, be wary, and then email them and say, listen, is this power on? Do you get the signal? Because there are people that will be honest and say, hey, I'm selling this system for parts. Yeah. You know, I have a Bally Astrocade right now that powers on but doesn't get any game. So if I sell it, I will say that. It's tested. It doesn't work. Maybe you can fix it. I don't know. Right. But here you go. But to say untested for a system is weird. Uh, versus a cart game, I feel a little safer because 99% of cartridges you can clean and get to work. You know, so that's not a big a deal to me versus a disc game where if it's scratch, you know, you might have to do something more. Yeah, I remember there was a time when I think we were moving to the new uh, the the new location, well, the newer location on uh, on Newport, where we had just put all sorts of systems that either needed cords were dirty or they needed to be cleaned. And, you know, they got mixed in with some broken ones. And basically, it was just like, well, what the fuck do we do with this? We're unpacking a new store. Do we have time? And it was just set it aside. And it really was. It was just a pile of, like, 30 untested systems. Like, literally just not tested. And they all went for, like, five bucks. Like, it's not always that it's a broken system. I mean, there's... there's, For all we know, that could have all been working shit. Um, You know, because we do tend to keep very good track of our broken stuff. But... Sometimes just a way to say, oh, it's untested, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a person clearing out a storage unit finds, you know, you know, eight, you know, Genesis systems and just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, they're throwing it up there and saying untested, and for all you know, it works fine. Overall, do your homework. Know, for more for systems, know which systems are more likely to last the test of time. Cartridge-based Cartridge systems. Yeah. Uh, You know, even even old uh, Atari systems should work. For the most part. The power cord is what goes most frequently on Atari systems. Uh, know that disc-based systems, untested, yeah, now you're getting into weird territory. GameCube, maybe. Nothing else. Yeah. Um, from at Nielsen Anton. Chip tune and sprite art were born from limitations. How do you think limitations have benefited games in the long run? It's like any art form. When you're forced to think in creative ways to do something that you can't have the freedom to do, it just forces you to come up with cool ideas. And, and cool workarounds and and yeah, I I think that not having limitations is is bad, especially in film, uh, more so than games because if you can just CG anything you want, maybe you shouldn't be CGing anything you want. Maybe you should be writing a better story or a better uh, plot device or a better character arc to take the place of uh, you know, as Frank would say, like car chase and explosion every five minutes. And I guess the same thing can be said for a video game. Yeah, you know? I mean some of the, I mean. It, 
Atari, like Pitfall, something like Pitfall would never have been dreamed to have been able to be done on, on an Atari. Um, they figured it out. But they figured it out. You know, someone studied it long enough and figured out how to work around these limitations and did it. In music, um, you know, people always, you know, people who acquire a ton of like, you know, bass guitars or guitars or synthesizers or whatever, you know, it behooves you to sit down sometimes with one piece of gear or one thing and just work with it and figure out how you can get it to do something close to what you want. And the same goes for video games and the limitations of the system. Yeah, I mean, think about games that were single screen, and then someone had to think of, well, what if we get that screen to scroll when we walk over? It's yeah. like, what? How do we do that? Let's figure it out. out. Let's do it. So it always takes that, that person to think about what's the next sort of uh, frontier we could go to, towards. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have those, or if you have it too easy, eh, maybe you get lazy, or maybe you just, you know, you think, oh, we'll just do what we did the last 50,000 times, you know. We'll do like... Uh, <laughs> Mario Brothers, we can scroll to the right. Can we scroll to the left? No. Maybe for the next one? No, that's impossible. No. We're going to do it. Only Super Mario World. <laughs> we'll, we'll save it for that. Um, at Dave Van Dam Net again. Are there any games you regret not being able to beat? I always regret not being able to beat Ninja Gaiden as a kid because I used to rent that freaking sucker almost every other month and would always get up to the last level and then just fall short. And that destroyed my eyesight probably uh, because of that. <laughs> It was just one of those things where it's like, I want to beat Ninja Gaiden. And then I, it's like, I could never beat Mike Tyson's Punch-Out as a kid. Could never do it. Get up to Mike Tyson without using the code. We'll get destroyed. Maybe get to the second round every now and then. But now, I beat him during the marathon after not having sleep for a day. I don't know what the hell. How do I get better at these games when I got older? I don't even know. Yeah. I think It's weird. I think, um, I think Mike Tyson's Punch-Out is one that I think if you were growing up in the 80s and had a Nintendo, that's one that... I'm not saying for everyone. There's a lot of genius gamers out there, but for a lot of us like plebeians like me, um, I, I couldn't fucking do it. I mean Mike Tyson's Punch I Out. I couldn't either. I think Mike I think for Mike I think Mike Tyson's Punch Out is gonna be was at least uh, one of those uh, benchmarks for like whether being yeah, a good game player. Being a good game player. And I think it's one that a lot of people left their childhood still carrying behind them not having ever beaten. As far as modern day stuff Oh, you know, a lot of stuff on my Xbox 360 because it was built like shit and broke down, so I have a pile of games that's useless. I, I think could, that's a pretty different topic, but, you know. I couldn't beat Modern Warfare 2. There are all the <laughs> checkpoints every five seconds. No, I mean, there are some... Just, I mean, an honest answer, there's a lot of RPGs that I have not beaten that I would love to beat, and seriously, it's simply a matter of time. I just don't have it. Um, trying to think of any, uh, any other ones that I couldn't really beat. Oh, I could never beat... Oh, God. Well, I got a, I got a cheap uh, book though. For I always bring it up, Return to Zork was impossible, mm-hmm. and then I, w- I would never have bought it if it didn't come packaged with my Sam Lester sixteen uh, CD ROM drive. So I always regretted I always regretted not being able to be, be smart enough to beat that um, without the the, the, the the guidebook. But there's no way even today I probably would be able to do it. So okay, it's funny that you brought that up because I used to play a shitload of adventure games and I could beat most of them. Um, one of my favorites though that I never beat and I still regret not beating it is The Adventures of Willie Beamish by Dynamics. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Too. I couldn't do it. Um, and then I later on found it. Now I could probably find a properly clocked version right now, but Willie Beamish had a. Uh, it was an adventure game, but there was some time stuff you, too. Was, you, you had a few days to get to the contest yeah. or whatever. And there was frog. There, on the last day. There's a very difficult part where you have to rescue your frog from being made into frog soup. And there's timing on it, and the clocking is fucked up when you played it on later computers. Oh, really? And it was literally impossible to do. And I just banged my head constantly against it until I realized, oh, I'm walking faster, everything's happening faster, oh. I can't 
I can't do this. Because I breezed through the first two days of the game like no problem. Can you buy that online uh, on Steam? or? I'd, I'd have to check GOG and oh, see. Cause, because on? GOG would, would give it to you in a format that They give you the DOS prop, box already? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you, or you can try to do it yourself with DOS box if you have the CD-ROM stuff. Right, but yeah. like I said, if it was available on GOG, or, they would have DOS box it's made. On, it's on Sega CD. It is. Don't have someone go buy up all the copies and drive up the price. And, e- <laughs> and email me a year later. It could happen. I think the last copy we had was like 15 bucks. I should have bought it. I don't want to buy it. I always want to buy it when I see it, but I have no Sega CD. I don't, my mind's getting fixed. Well, that does it for the uh, CU podcast. Ian's giving me a weird look. Uh, we're going to be at Too Many Games. We are. There's going to be Too Many Games there. If you go to Too Many Games, uh, use this code I'm going to give you to help me and Ian out show your support. Um, this probably won't work. I'll probably put HTTP slash slash too many games dot com slash. I'm I'm sort of pausing and delaying for time. We have a Patreon, uh, Patreon dot com slash Pixel Sickle. We do. Um, and with that, you'll be able to see the entire podcast in its entirety. Um, twice a month, or it could be three times a month sometimes. So we appreciate your support there. So yeah, if you want to go uh, too many games, you don't have a ticket. That's June 26th, 28th in Oaks, Pennsylvania. Go to too many games.com slash gamer slash NES punk and then purchase your ticket that way and show, show your support for the NES punk. We'll have a grand old time. And the other guy, Ian. So with that gone out of the way, without further ado, without further ado, with an ado, we're going to see you in... Uh, <clears throat> two weeks. Uh, it'll be our wow. E3 will still be going on. So we'll have our like E3 update on the seventeenth. That'll be exciting. We never really did that before. Like the hot news. And I think Nintendo will have their conference by then. I'm predicting Animal Crossing. I'm predicting maybe a surprise. So we'll see you later. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>